Welcome to Culture Matters, my podcast where we dive into the many facets of organizational culture. I am your host, Subhu Kalpati. I am a talent, leadership and organizational development professional. My guest today is S. Venki, the President Group HR and a member of the board at RPG Group. Since 1996, Venki has been holding group HR leadership positions at the national and global level for very large corporations. In this episode, we dive into the findings of the Gen Z Happiness Code report which was commissioned and released by the RPG Group. We also discuss various initiatives that contribute to talent attraction and retention at RPG. Venki, welcome to the podcast. Thank thank you Subhu as I said always a pleasure and I was looking forward to this actually. Where I would like to begin is um you know before we get into the topic of the day uh, maybe talking a little bit about your journey so far uh, Venki which is that you're of course the group head of HR at RPG and a member of the board and you worked with several large conglomerates including ITC uh, etc and you also had an entrepreneurial stint of your own uh, with Swanishtha so if i were to ask you to maybe you know begin there uh, talk a little bit about how your journey has been reflecting back any milestones or key learnings that you've had on the way yeah um it's been it's been an interesting and a long journey subhu i mean this is i just realized that we've all been around for a very long time it's almost 35 plus years and uh, this was as soon as i graduated from tiss in 1987 i got into itc from campus now itc was a very different kind of a experience i mean they prepare you in advance um to be a leader of whatever you're doing i mean it that it was in the era before coes became a term before uh, smes became a terminology right you were expected to be a good generalist leader so that was the exposure we all got we were posted in remote factories in north india in bangalore we handled ir um, so it was a good uh, good kind of rounding off that you got at an early stage of your career and an itc even though it's an mnc uh, was run like a very very indian local kind of a company with uh, you know leadership having transition to indians quite mm-hmm. some time back even before i joined uh, i then worked for another multinational but at a certain stage i decided that i will switch over to working for indian conglomerates the reason is that i think in the early 2000s we were you know enjoying the benefits of liberalization which started a little earlier for 5 years earlier mm. and we all had stars in our eyes thinking that you know the next uh, we that is china and india are going to be the next big global superpowers so all the future companies the big companies of the world are going to be headquartered in Shanghai Beijing Delhi Bombay Bangalore and right. uh, well that that dream exactly hasn't panned out that way it's been a far more complex kind of a journey for countries and for us since then yeah. but that was my logic and the other thing i realized is that if you want to uh, you know drive a lot of change you need a lot of empowerment and it's good to be a leader of a large indian conglomerate than just be one of the many leaders in a large mnc particularly if you are a chro of a mnc subsidiary in india there's only so much you can influence mm. um, so that has stayed with me till date and uh, you know that is kind of uh, uh, been a good 
kind of a, you know change in the journey that i took mm-hmm. because truly including rpg and before this with vedanta which are all very large enterprises one could drive a lot of change uh, easily without any complexity of matrix structures and all of that it was really left to me to initiate the chairman of the group to kind of uh, get socialized and my peers who are the ceos uh, and of course some of my chro leaders to kind of get socialized and then we would go and implement so you know the pace of change you know as you will know having been in consulting has been tremendous in uh, india roots kind of organizations particularly in hr right you know these are no longer traditional companies or to use a pejorative term lala companies right um they are driving a lot of stuff on their own and i will speak about some of that when we come to that topic so that was my journey in between i had this very strong urge to do something on my own mm-hmm. i floated a framework of consulting which looking back i think it was ahead of its time uh it was a director hr on hire model uh, it was a strategic advisory model virtually saying that listen you don't need an hr director of my seniority full time i will come in on top of your organization work seamlessly with your internal hr and deliver value mm. um it was reasonably successful there were a lot of indian companies which surprisingly adopted it uh which i worked with large companies particularly in the south i worked with a number of companies um but it was fresh after the 2008 uh, 2008 downturn yeah mm-hmm. so there was a lot of lot of financial stress in the market and the co- concept of outsourcing and having a cfo on hire or chro on hire was not very you know it was a bit of a shock for some people to hear it out right so but but it was an interesting concept for me and i ran this for about four and a half years during the course of which not only did i work for large companies like rpg but i also worked with private equity okay um i kind of worked as a fund side hr advisor as also the hr advisor to the portfolio companies once the the pe uh, invested in these companies now at some stage i was quite satiated with my entrepreneurial journey mm. and uh, i thought i must see what i like uh, about my career is i think i'm a good large company hr person mm-hmm. and some people are good at that some people are not good at that some people enjoy working with startups with ngos right uh, but i i think i'm a good large company hr person i can manage a complex conglomerate and drive a common agenda and also i feel i am good at helping companies go through a period of difficulty and stress and do transformation i have that innate ability to uh, you know get through that process mm-hmm. so that uh, is required in large companies and i thought in my entrepreneurial life i will never get that scale so before somebody stopped offering me a job i got back into the so called mainstream so right. and uh, that's how i came to rpg but that is about 10 years back mm-hmm. so it's been a it's been a long time right so here i am i'm actually you know probably in the penultimate stage of my career 
uh, I mean, I'm talking about the fixed corporate career, right? I yeah, mean, that yeah. top job is something which I'm not sure if I would do it again. So that's been the journey and I will stop here. Uh, Venki, uh, you know, when um, when the group published, when RPG group published the Gen Z Happiness uh, Code Report, it, it immediately kind of caught everyone's attention, including me. Um, but before we go there, I, I would like to understand from you a little bit about uh, how the group has uh, shaped its focus on happiness as a topic, which I think is very unique in the way that it is positioned. And how does, um, you know, the organization drive this particular agenda? What's the ethos? And how does uh, this translate into experience for the employees? Right. So, you know, it all started some six years back. We um, re-articulated our vision, uh, our values, our RPG capability statement. And along with it, we defined us as a hello happiness company, So, mm-hmm. which is truly, many people have told us that, listen, it's a very nice, thank God it's Monday company. Uh, Whatever happens, we don't feel what some people call in other companies, soul-ravaged. So we converted that into a corporate uh, tagline. Mm -hmm. Then we said we must convert this into something tangible. Uh, You know, Hello Happiness is a very generic term. Even soft drinks companies use it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what we did at that stage is we were also thinking that we wanted to move away from the plain vanilla employee engagement models. Mm -hmm. So we said, why not we ask people, what does hello happiness and happiness mean to them? So we did a massive survey. We did a massive employee uh, uh, listening kind of a Mm -hmm. uh, kind of an exercise. And, uh, you know, we came out with a framework. For example, I sat with Harsh Goenka Mm -hmm. and said, listen, your company has been managing this group for 150 years. You're the chairman, you're the owner, you're the promoter, you're the single largest shareholder. What does happiness mean to you, mm. you know, as a chairman of the company? So, and and this, we kind of developed and you know the technology, we use world art and stuff like that. And of course, um, we, we went into a depth of happiness, which otherwise you won't. Mm. It's a very esoteric term. It's like nirvana. It means different things to different people. Yeah. But we came out with a framework which I think is unique till date. Nobody in the world has such a framework. Mm. Certainly no conglomerate of our scale and size has managed to create a framework and then live by it. Mm. So we actually today have a happiness framework, which has certain defined pillars. It has got elements. Now, this is what people told us means happiness to them. Now, what we are doing is we are translating that into a happiness quotient for each company. Mm. The way to the quotient is through a survey. And this is similar, but also unlike some of the you know surveys that you have in the market like GPTW or Aon or whatever, or mm. Gallup. So happiness has become the primary means of measuring employee engagement. And if anything does not lead to happiness, or something comes in the way of happiness, we drop it. Mm. And like I said, our definition of happiness is very deep. It's not about doing fun Fridays or pizza evenings or whatever. All that is is par for the course, as you know, in any company. But uh, we've gone to a... And and frankly, this is a bit of an IPR for us. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I had one consulting major, global consulting major, with whom I 
was speaking to check if they would partner with us. So she said, is it for sale? So I said, no, it's not for sale. It's something. She said, no, the product is so good. We will roll it out globally as a as a product for us. So I said, no. So anyway, we we I think that was a nice endorsement. Right. This is the third year that we have done this happiness survey. We calculate HQ, happiness quotient at SPO level, company level, then at the group level. I can tell you it's 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 in the high 80s. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the companies are in the 90s. And I keep saying that, you know, if I had a 8 out of 10 in my personal life, in happiness score, I'm blessed. Yeah. So for a company, it's not bad at all. Do we do we still have any issues to sort out? Of course we do. Every mm-hmm. company does. But that's what is, and we have stayed away, Subhu, from uh, jumping into every award uh, right. somebody's offering. You know, now today, <laughs> this is a virtual industry by itself, right? Yeah. There are big companies uh, or media houses partnering with consulting companies to award the best workforce or best happy place or whatever. So we are staying away from all of it. Because mm-hmm. what our 35,000 employees tell us is paramount for us. Mm-hmm. So that's that's been the journey on happiness. Very interesting. Couple of things came to mind, Venki, while you were um, explaining, which is the first point about how um, you know you said that this was already a part of the culture in a way, and what you did was you went and asked people and and kind of put a framework around it. Vis-a-vis, you know, usually organizations do it the other way around, wherein they create a framework and then try to you know. So th- the evolution, I think, was very organic in the way that you explained it, which was fascinating to hear. Um, right. And the second piece was also about how it usually happens. It's usually the research or consulting that comes from the outside in. But here in this case, you have kind of, you know, defined it yourself from the inside out. And then usually it doesn't happen. It's usually a consulting organization that, you know, defines some of these things or maybe some research. Um, but uh, both of these things kind of uh, stood out for me while I was listening to you. Uh, right. you. We, yeah. use, we use a consulting company today to only implement the survey. Mm. I mean, they have not done any work on the framework. Mm. They run it for us so that it's seen as neutral. It's not run by internal HR. That's all. Coming to the uh, the report itself, the Gen Z Happiness yeah. Code um, report, uh, because I had done some research on millennials, uh, as, you, as you're aware, some years ago I published. Uh, I, I, it immediately caught my eye and I was very curious to go and read it. Um, and I read it with a lot of... Uh, uh you know interest myself um so coming to the report you already you already mentioned that hello happiness is a tagline for rpg and it's a key contributor to how you also develop employees and uh, employee engagement at rpg um, could you talk a little bit about how it came to be uh, one is of course the way that you were explaining which is you're doing it for the group but here you also went out and you you know you went and did a, an industry study of sorts or even probably a societal study i would say because the report is quite vast in its scope in the way that it's been um, you know structured uh, could you talk a little bit about how that came to be what's the genesis of that idea and you know how did you get to uh, working on a report of that kind so uh, you know our first priority was uh, you know, kind of establishing this in-house, which we have done. Yeah. Then we said, can we take this also outside? And uh, this was obviously not employee engagement. It was mm. a societal. We wanted to take ownership for the platform of happiness. So today, I think, you know, there is nobody who's got that platform other than RPG. Mm. And we said, what does 
I mean, obviously, society needs happiness as much or more than an individual organization requires. So we said we will work with different sections of society to understand how or what happiness means to them. So the first was uh, a natural choice, which was Gen Z, because Mm. this is really the majority of the population in India. They are the future. They are the current and future workforce in any company. Um, And everybody is struggling to understand that. Right. So, you know, you have all kinds of people in every company, people who say, oh, these kids are spoiled. They they don't yeah. work like us. They are. So there's a generational difference which happens in every company. So we engaged a, a company called Yuva, mm-hmm. which specializes only in this uh, space. Uh, so they, they came across as people who genuinely understood, right, uh, what the youth of this country are saying and what turns them on. I mean, if you go to their office, uh, it's a very, very nice office. I mean, young people, okay, uh, literally Gen Zs, not even millennials working with them. The Only the two founders are, I think, older. They are also like more millennials than okay. uh, the next category of people. So uh, they were the ones who did this research. And we commissioned them to do this research more um, I don't want to sound bombastic, more as a societal contribution from our side. Mm-hmm. And what we did is when we published this report, we held an event mm. where we uh, you know, shared this with everybody. Obviously, there was no cost. We said, we've spent money on this research and we put it together. Now we give it away to companies. So we invited CEOs, CHROs, uh, and uh, we had an event in Mumbai where uh, we had youth icons come and speak about uh, what's happening to themselves. How did they come up? For example, Shreyas Iyer, the cricketer, came and yeah. spoke. Uh, then we had uh, Navya Naveli Nanda, uh, you know, who's Amitabh Bachchan's granddaughter, but she's a mini celebrity in her own right. Yeah. Then we had uh, uh, a kind of a YouTube celebrity from Bangalore called Niharika. Mm-hmm. Then there was, uh, ha. so we we got all these people to share about their own journey. Mm. And what do they think about organization, success, life, marriage, relationships, and all of that. Right. And at the end of it, we got uh, the uh, Harsh, we asked Harsh Goenka to unveil the report mm. and say, listen, this is what we have found. So this has been, uh, so that little bit we have completed that exercise. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, what do we do with it? I mean, we knew what Gen Zs and millennials were saying through the happiness survey. Right. But some of the perspectives were beyond happiness, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, what do they want to do in terms of physical fitness? What are they going through in terms of mental well-being? Mm. So a lot of insights we've also got, which we will obviously use. Mm. And we are also hoping that RPG will be a go-to place for Gen Z's in the future. Mm. You know, they will see a company which is sensitive, which understands them, at least try to make an effort to understand them. Right. So it is it is good employer branding for us. I'm not trying to deny it. Right. Uh, it helps our own people to understand the people who are working with them. So this is one part of the journey that we've finished. And we will take on other sections. Mm-hmm. Uh, next, it could be the geriatric population of India. Right. 
you know everybody is talking about youth and gen z what about the aging senior mm. citizens in our country so we might you know focus on them sure we might focus on lgbtq we might focus on the physically disabled mm. there's so many people who also require happiness and what is the focus of happiness for them so this whole thing happiness labs we call it mm-hmm. is purely externally focused you know just to kind of uh, deep dive on the report for a little bit uh, venki i um, i remember reading the foreword of course by mr harsh goenka and uh, you know i remember a comment also from uh, from his um, quote is that uh, what you discovered was not just enlightening but also motivating and overwhelming at times yeah. um, so uh, have there been any you know key findings or big aha moments for you as as you discovered the research that was coming out of this uh, report venki Yeah I mean I mean we, I knew it but it got endorsed by this report for example people are people are wanting so the gen z's you know generally you know the stereotype which is being floated around is they are not career oriented mm-hmm. now they are very chilled out everybody wants to retire at 35 or 40 but it came out that they are very ambitious mm-hmm. they are very ambitious they are in, in definitely focused on their career but if they see a company which is toxic mm-hmm. if they see a company which doesn't care about climate or environment or societal good they will quit and be unemployed it doesn't matter to them mm-hmm. so that kind of risk taking and standing up for their values i found it quite uh, quite an eye opener mm-hmm. see listen i am i am a parent to a millennial and a gen z so right. i know what's going on at home what they say and what they think yeah so it wasn't too much of a surprise for me but this was indeed an aha moment mm-hmm. they are not saying career growth is unimportant but they will not do it maybe my generation can learn a thing or two because my generation was the post liberalization or they went through the liberalization era they said listen we've been um you know constrained by license permit raj this is the age now to earn money mm. make a quick buck uh so they were not necessarily standing up to things which bothered them mm-hmm. i'll be very blunt about it i know some people who have said oh this all happens in corporate but this generation is not like that mm. of course they have the privilege of having been born into a better economic situation than the previous generation right. they have had creature comforts from the beginning mm. um the job market in india is hot mm. they had to face long periods of unemployment so that probably gives them the confidence but this was water was what was rev- uh, you know quite a revelation for me so very interesting um so uh, you know these points that you mentioned when which is the culture aspect uh, workplace is not being toxic or uh, you know climate change or even the way that the organization contributes or its purpose for instance you also touched upon that so uh, looking at some of these aspects do you see that the values of this generation has shifted from how it was maybe a couple of decades ago or even before that uh, any um, any thoughts on that venki in the way that their values might be different No no absolutely it is different that's what i was saying in the previous uh, hmm. response also they are very clear see this this generation is uh, is sick and tired of the societal 
constraints which are there which is corruption mm. that you have to you know in government or bureaucracy you'll have to you know find your way through the maze so they are not willing to put up with all of that now you might call it naive mm. you might say it's a very simplistic approach but that is their value mm. okay now a lot of them will leave the country a lot of them will stay back and fight the system mm. so still have both so their values are very clear so they do not they respect people with expertise and experience but they are not overawed by authority mm. you know you will not see the but i wrote a i wrote i wrote a piece in linkedin a few days back yeah uh, i mean the topic is why i hate power lists right i remember seeing that yes you saw you saw that yeah. and that's genuinely i feel it right i mean i am come from a generation which talks only about who's who's the current powerful chief minister or ceo or bureaucrat or whatever i mean i find it it is actually debilitating to the nation then mm. you end up worshiping that small list and all of us becoming weak mm. so that's why i wrote it it was really out of personal angst mm. now this generation is indeed like that mm. you know they will not just because venki has got 35 years of experience they will not be differential to me they will do it if they have genuine respect for what i am as a human being mm. so you can't throw your weight around throw your qualifications or throw your money or throw your uh, number of years of experience and expect them to be differential mm. so uh, and and they are um so they it's a very interesting blend they are they respect tradition they like mm. uh, you know they like uh, parental figures yeah but yet they don't want to be like their parents mm. you know i i think many of them are deeply spiritual many of them are very honest mm. and uh, they i've heard my own children speak about why they are not friends with somebody anymore because they feel the person is dishonest right i think that level of strong views we didn't have in our generation mm. individuals may have had but but the generation was a little more accommodating mm-hmm. of flaws so i think certainly values have changed uh, subo i think what they need and this is something we are always telling is i think far more resilience right i think our generation had more resilience mm. and they should they should if they develop that it's beautiful combo sure sure Uh, interesting i think the the word that strikes me as you were explaining this is is the striking the right balance um between yeah. you know today and uh, tradition for instance and what's coming up in the future or respect versus reverence for instance yeah. right? that's the other point that you were making um and striking the right balance is something that's important i suppose um yeah, from what i heard you say and also from what i read which is very fascinating um coming to the section of the report when which talks about the workplace uh, which was of interest to me uh, is that you know one one particular phrase from the report really stood out which is that work is not worship anymore it's necessarily to fulfill uh, not even an ambition but more purpose right for uh, for gen z um so what does this finding mean i mean uh, we talk about future of work for instance but this angle never really comes up as much so if i were to kind of ask you uh, you know what do you think this means for the way that organizations are run in the future no it's exactly what it says that they are not willing to sacrifice at the altar of work mm. everything else which is dear to them for example work life balance uh, opportunity to do something other than work 
Mm-hmm. In fact, in our happiness framework, we have woven in three things. Mm-hmm. Does RPG offer you the flexibility, the work-life balance to be able to focus on your physical, spiritual, mental, and financial well-being? Okay. If an organization doesn't provide this, then people will not be interested in working in this company. People are very focused on all of this. They do not think that working 18-hour days or 20-hour days just to get ahead in the career and lose everything else in the bargain is worth it. Mm. That, I think, certainly the... Now, you might you might call it the work ethic has shifted, mm-hmm. but I think it's a very balanced shifting of the work ethic. I support that completely. Mm. Uh, we have seen an entire generation which probably could have focused on their health better, their mental well-being better, uh, familial relationships better. But uh, these young people are certainly focused on that. So it is not... And also, they don't mind taking time off, Mm. take a break uh, to focus on, let's say, another additional qualification, Mm -hmm. even learning to cook. They're willing to experiment, fail, and come back again. So that if you think work is worship, then you are always in the temple of work 24 by 7. That is the difference. Right. Very interesting. And the other point I think you touched upon already, which is, you know, the aspect of family. um, And it's such an important safety net for this generation. They might not want to be like their parents, but they still want to, you know, be associated with family, which I thought was a very interesting finding. It kind of goes against this grain of, you know, we're all becoming individual, more individualistic now. Uh, We were always collectivist more as a society, but, you know, people were complaining that people are becoming more. So therefore, do you feel that, you know, there's a shift that's happening as a result of this? Because I haven't seen this before (laughs) in any of the studies. So I thought I'll check with you on this. No, I think I think young people are, you know, it's very interesting that a lot of people in at least in India are mm. continuing to stay with their parents yeah. even when they uh, reach late 20s or early 30s. If they were not happy staying with them, of course, there is that whole material comfort of continuing to stay in your parents' place. Yeah. A lighter vein. But but I think I think parents or at least immediate family. People still see it as a as a source of, uh, you know, a place where you can go and be yourself, mm. and take help. That hasn't disappeared from Indian society, at least. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very it's a very good thing, right? And and somewhere I'm finding that uh, this generation is also trying to be more genuine in their relationship with their parents and siblings, right? Other than just doing it because they are elder or they are parents, I think they genuinely are caring for them. And I'm seeing a lot of the younger people. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, it happened in my generation also. The people came back from overseas, from lucrative careers to look after their parents. Mm-hmm. This generation will also do that. Um, they are individualistic in another sphere. Mm-hmm. But they are also societally kind of connected to their families. And the both both can coexist. I don't see a contradiction between the two. Sure. Interesting. Uh, it takes me to an example that I was just reading about yesterday, Venki. Uh, the, one of the Zepto founders, Kautilya, 
uh, he mentioned that you know he's spiritual and is so he does meditation for instance and he frequently talk, talks to his mother who keeps advising him that you know he should be completing it. he's a stanford dropout um, right uh, and of course he is now uh, the founder of a unicorn uh, at i think he's just 20 so he's a gen z Uh, which is very fascinating and I, i think your just what you were explaining just now kind of rang true as i was uh, you know thinking back about what i read just yesterday i think he's been profiled as one of the 21 uh, you know 21 under 21 that's the category shifting a little bit uh, to the topic of um, uh, culture venki uh, again we we spoke a little bit about this entire aspect of uh, toxic workplaces and uh, i think it's been unraveled very well in the report also um, you know things like hierarchical imposition or micromanagement discrimination uh, politics etc so in your view what can organizations do to overcome some of these um, things as they look at you know building organizations for the future i think let me i'll speak about what we've done in rpg so mm-hmm. for example we have uh, uh, definitely uh try to bring in a very inclusive workplace and mm-hmm. inclusive in all aspects not just gender diversity uh we have introduced benefits which earlier did not cover the lgbtq population um we have gone and hired transgenders mm-hmm. in our factories because why did we do it it's not dndi not just dndi it is dndi to some extent right but it is also societal good you and i see them begging at uh, traffic signals and you see them they are fairly physically robust and your heart goes out to yeah section of society so we said we will get them to work as factory workers mm. now initially it was a bit of a flop because they were not used to working 8 hours non stop mm. uh, some of them ran away and we used an ngo to kind of work on them and bring them back so what we are trying to do is that we are trying to live all this grand philosophy that we keep speaking about of inclusivity diversity happiness mm. and you got to convert every bit of that the framework into some action which is authentic and realistic mm-hmm. right all that that i've explained to you we have uh, we have gone beyond posh mm-hmm. uh, to bring in a genuine anti harassment culture okay so for example right now in our company we are running a campaign saying you know please don't accept any form of ridicule or harassment from anybody mm. so with the help of an external uh, company we have a 24 by 7 anti harassment pipeline uh, sorry helpline which uh, will look into any form of harassment mm. you can't call people fat you can't call people oldie you can't call somebody from the northeast chinky Yeah. So we have we have said none of this is acceptable in our cons in our construct. Okay, mm. and you have the right to escalate this, and we will take action. Mm. We've always had an ethics helpline. Okay. The ethics helpline is, of course, a whistleblower uh, facility to uh, report any unethical practice or whatever. But it is also about harassment. It is about, of course, sexual harassment is a very legal thing. but what about male sexual harassment mm. you know india still doesn't have a law for that all posh is about women mm. so here in this 24 by 7 helpline we have even a male can complain about a sexual harassment or an lgbtq can say there is a harassment about my sexual orientation mm. so i think companies must take a lot of actions on all fronts to make people feel 
um, this is a safe workplace. You see, mm. at some stage, you'll have to provide a safe workplace, yeah. harassment-free workplace. Happiness won't flow if there is no safety in the first place. That's right. And how do you create a culture where you can disagree with your boss, mm. yet the boss or the system will not be vindictive? Now, you might say, Venki, this is a very idealistic statement that you're making. But I think we've been fairly successful. You know, generally, people tell us that, yes, at the end of the day, my boss might overrule me. Mm. But I have the freedom to voice my opinion and I can still maintain my relationship with him or her. Mm. I think, you know, are we perfect at it? No. So we are working on it. These things take time, right? Mm. And when you hire people from outside, they also take some time to settle into our culture. Yeah. Now, the measure of that is two things. One is the happiness quotient. The other is also the measure is how many people want to come back to RPG. Mm -hmm. And, you know, last year, I think it was the middle of last year, we had a sudden spurt of attrition because of startups. Mm. And when people left, we said, listen, this standard retention conversations are not working. So why don't we articulate what is what we call the RPG edge? What will you get here which you won't get in the startup? Mm -hmm. So we articulated many things. Reasonable working hours. You you people talk about work-life balance. You will never get it in a startup because they are in the business of establishing their business model. They have to prove a thing or two to their investors. Right. So it's going to be an 18-hour, 20-hour workday. But you only said it's important to you. How come you've suddenly forgotten? No, no, no. We thought if we get a two-step jump in our grade, uh, then we get a big jump in our salary. It'll be a great experience. But we realized, no, that's not something we're happy with. We want to come back. Mm. Toxicity. L&D. Which startup is going to invest in your learning and development? Mm. They are not in that business for the first few years at least. So when we articulated all of that, people saw back. Mm. Some people still left. And, but many people stayed back and many people want to come back. Mm. I think, I think you know, we are converting everything into something which is pragmatic, practical, which we can show to people. Mm -hmm. you know, if you don't walk the talk on all of these frameworks, then people won't see it as gin. Very interesting. I had I had always uh, wondered that, you know, of course, posh is one thing, but how do we deal with, uh, you know, everyday incivility at work, right? And how do organizations deal with it? Yeah. It's fantastic that you've already created some kind of a helpline that helps, um, you know, people go through that uh, process. Helpline is yeah. only to make people comfortable. Uh, mm. I mean, mm. the regular channel of the other day, somebody came to me and complained mm. about his line manager being uh, disrespectful. Mm. So we took instant action. Mm. And this was a senior person who complained about even more senior person. So it happens. So that's our job, right? We can't, yeah. I can't abdicate that to a helpline, but yeah. helpline helps. Yeah. When somebody's not comfortable calling a person of authority or even HR, it helps. Mm -hmm. um, a related point here, Venki, is um, again, you touched upon it already, which is the aspect of mental well being, work life balance, etc. Um, it's always been, you know, there is this clash of generations, right, in any workplace. Uh, other generations say, hey, this is just like new age drama or excuses. They just don't want to work. Um, you know, any thoughts on how to overcome such barriers when instating a culture which where you really say, hey, this is important for us and we're not going to do away with this. So I'm sure you also face that friction. But how, how did you tackle some of those? So we had, uh, what we did is, at, at when the pandemic kicked off, 
we put in uh, we put in two things one is we hired somebody a cfo not the traditional cfo we hired a chief fitness officer okay because we had to get people to do uh, you know some focus on fitness when they are at home during the pandemic mm. second is we tied up with a very large mental wellness company and we offered their service free of cost to employees and families mm-hmm. that still continues today a fair amount of uh, uh, you know adoption there mm-hmm. uh, we have kept away from it is it is an arrangement we have put in it is between the employee and the uh, wellness company but we since since we recognize it's important uh, we continue to provide this facility and now for us it's an important issue Mm. we are not pressing it aside saying this is just uh, an excuse for not working mm. or it's a what is that new age fad yeah listen it it existed earlier mm. you know it is about how schizophrenia and autism right today is understood better than 100 years back mm. the same thing mental wellness and issues related to that of course it existed in corporates 20 30 years back but today it's receiving the necessary focus mm. so we are happy to support people when they require that i'm going to shift focus a little bit and do this thing called a rapid fire round um, wow. okay. are you are you game i'm game but i'm not sure if i can crack it <laughs> you are expecting me to but i'll try yeah so it's it's very simple so i i throw a word or a phrase at you and um, you say the first thing that comes to your mind it's as simple as that If you okay. want to clarify or you know say something to add on, please feel free. Um, okay, sure. Essentially, just that. Yeah. Okay. okay. So, are you are you ready? Should we go? Ready, ready. Okay. First word: generations. Unique. Okay. Culture. The way we do things around here. Okay. Happiness. Core to one's existence. Autonomy. Super important. for a professional okay uh, mental well being uh as important as physical well being inclusion uh clearly a right today not a privilege millennials uh, is just another generation um we were millennials once and there will be more millennials in the future so yeah. no need to dramatize this generation okay fantastic thanks venki i think you did superb <laughs> thanks for playing along <laughs> thank you thank you subhu i this was my first rapid fire <laughs> and i've seen even celebs fumble so you can bear with me uh, i i just i was curious on one response that you gave venki venki which is autonomy and you said it's important for every professional what what did you mean by that when you said that see i don't know i for me autonomy i have always wanted that you know more than anything else mm-hmm. i can't have somebody breathing down my neck and micromanaging it i think it's see we are not generally we have not been a very innovative nation and i mean innovation not in terms of product innovation mm-hmm. i know there will be a bunch of people who will tell me what about chandrayaan and all of that i don't mean that i mean in terms of the way we do work processes uh now it comes out of uh being forced to be compliant mm. and following what authority tells you so uh, to be independent to have empowerment to be able to think about better ways of doing things is is 
something which every professional should practice. I mean, we are all hired to be people who bring about change. And how do you bring about change if you are not empowered? Mm-hmm. That uh, I mean, I have never believed in doing a job where I had to do what my boss told me. I never, never complied with that. Right. I'm just thinking how that would translate into culture and how teams operate if, if that was the norm in a particular team where the boss gives autonomy to his or her. Yeah, I mean, yeah. autonomy is doesn't mean that it's unfettered or without any boundaries, right? I mm. mean, if you're working on a particular task, there is a model, there is a boundary. Yeah. Within that, you can have autonomy. Mm. Right? But but it's not like a military level compliance. I think, That's you know, right. we're not, we're not military organizations. Right. Yesterday, somebody was telling me, Venki, we run this company like a military. Mm. There has to be respect for authority and everything has to work with military precision. So I said, great, it works in your context, but you must understand that more and more people don't want to work in that environment. Absolutely. Also goes back to your point uh, about how there is a lot more opportunity in today's world than there was. So people yes. have choices. Yeah, yeah. People have choices. Sometimes when people don't have choices also, they are happy Even to do that. Yeah. That is an amazing thing about this generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have had the courage to do it when I was their age. Before I let you go, just a last couple of questions. Um, if I were to invite you to gaze into the future and you know ask you what does the workplace look like, uh, let's say a couple of decades from now, when Gen Z actually become the majority at at work, right? What what would be your answer? I I think the organization of the future should should be uh, very flexible. Mm. Uh, things like Physical working versus remote working will all be, I think, buried deep, that answer. I think many organizations don't need, um, you know, I was reading an interesting article about Boeing Mm -hmm. and how it practices this up to the highest levels of leadership. Uh, We practice it in RPG till date, even after the pandemic is over. So this whole uh, flexibility of workplace, that debate would have been settled a long time back. Uh, people would, uh, I think a lot of people would want to freelance mm-hmm. or moonlight. Now, moonlighting became a bad word last year, but it's yeah. not a bad thing if you do it with the full concurrence of the company and you respect the company's IPR and yeah. whatever. But I think a lot more people will not have nine to five jobs or corporate careers. They will have their own careers and work for multiple companies. I see that happening very fast. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that you will see a reduction in the number of work days. The four-day work week is already being spoken about. Right. You know, And it's a reality in many countries. It will be a reality even in a populous country like India. Mm-hmm. Um, I see that. And, and, the, and the last one is I think people will, will stop you know, the next generation will not want to work for authoritarian companies. Mm. You know, they will want companies which are empathetic, which will listen to them. We still have large enterprises in India which are authoritarian. Mm. You know, they are not they are not exactly open to taking... There's a contradiction, you see, Subhu. They may be doing employee engagement surveys and feedback surveys. But a bunch of very senior people at the top decide how the company should be run. Mm. I think people will not want to work for such companies. However big they are and however much they pay you, 
I think there will be a shift. People will want to work for more chilled out companies, more receptive to new idea companies. Yeah. Mm. I feel this at my stage in my life that I don't want to work for such companies. Right. You know, I can imagine the next generation. You tell me tomorrow to go and work for a very large authoritarian company, which pays me huge amount of money, but tells me, listen, Renki, you can't do much because we've already decided how the company will be run. Won't work for me. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So, uh, those are the four five things I see as clear trends. Great. Uh, very interesting and also very counterintuitive. Thanks for uh, sharing that, Venki, and laying it out. Um, so I'm at the end of my uh, conversation, Venki. Thank you so much for taking the time, uh, spending your time with me and uh, through this podcast. It's been a real pleasure having you. Likewise, uh, Subo, thank you for having me on the show. As I reflect back on my own research on the millennial generation from over eight years ago, what strikes me as a big shift is the focus on both physical and mental well-being for Gen Z. Workplace toxicity is a big turn-off for anyone, but Gen Z will surely not tolerate it. Another big insight that stands out is the need for close relationships with family and the coexistence of both individualistic and collectivist values. Until next time, I hope you reflect about what you could do differently about fostering the right kind of culture for your Gen Z employees.